Okay, everybody. Parshas Baaluscha, at least in Chutzlaretz. Um, a bit of a bittersweet Parsha share today because, Baruch Hashem, we had an amazing, amazing banquet. Uh, another round of Bear Miriam alumni uh, now going back to Chutzlaretz. Uh, if you guys are listening, you're amazing. Stay in touch. Keep on doing fantastic things. The girls had a, a tremendous, tremendous year. Um, and be in touch and give me uh, you know feedback and critique on the shirim, etc., etc. All right, anyway, uh, the Parsha. The Parsha is packed. The Parsha is absolutely packed. We start off with Baalos Chasaneros, that Aaron is, is instructed how to light the menorah. Uh, we talked about the consecration, right? the elevation, right? the, the glorification of the, of the Levium, right? getting ready to serve in, in, the, in, the, in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, in, the, in the Mishkan. Uh, Korban Pesach, Pesach Sheni, we have this poetic language about the Jews traveling together. Kosh is leading them through the desert. They're camped according to their camps. The, the, the Nisim are leading them. There are trumpets. There's like the dramatic illustration of how Bnei Israel uh, are traveling towards Eretz Israel after getting the Torah, right, about to fulfill their destiny. Right? Moshe invites Yisrael to come with them. They, there's the Parsha of Vahib and Aaron, Vayomer Moshe, and then everything takes a sharp left. Right, everything goes south. This is Vayihan, Kemis Oninim, the people start complaining. People start cultivating a craving and complaining about the Mun. Moshe despairs from, from leading the people. Hashem tells them to create a Sanhedrin to help. There's Eldad, there's Medad, a uh, story about them, uh, which we're not going to get to right now. Uh, there's a plague of Slav. Uh, you know, Bnei Yisrael get uh, punished for complaining about the man and, and, and the slav. And finally, at the end of the parsha, Miriam famously speaks Lashon Hara about Moshe, gets Saras, Moshe davens for her, Bnei Yisrael wait for her, right? And that's the end of the parsha. So let's let's get into it. Um, let's start at the beginning. The Halovskas Aneros Aaron is told to light the menorah, uh, instructed about the, those, some of those details. And Rashi famously asks, why is the menorah right, listed next to the Nisim, right? The end of Parsha's Naso, in last week's Parsha, right, we have a whole long list of all these korbanos that the Nisim brought. We talked about it last week. Uh, all, 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 tons of korbanos, right, the exact same thing 12 times. Right, that's the end of Parsha's Naso. Beginning of Baaloska, Aaron is told to light the, the menorah. And Rashi says, what do these th- two things have to do with each other? So the answer is that Aaron saw the Nisim bringing their korbanos, and he felt badly. He felt badly that he wasn't one of them, right? He wasn't involved with them in inaugurating the Mishkan, right? Neither Aaron nor Shevet Levi were one of those, cor- you know, listed as bringing the korbanos, right? There were 12 Shvatim, but you have, obviously, Yosef, two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, and Shevet Levi is not involved. So Hashem said to Aaron, don't worry, your lot is greater than theirs, right? You get to light the menorah. And so many questions, right? So many questions. And the Ramban already asks on Rashi, how is the menorah a consolation? Right? How, why didn't Hashem console him with so many other things he could have said, right? For example, the, Ar- the Aaron brought Ketoris. The Kohen Gadol brings Ketoris every morning and night. Only Aaron gets to do that. Or the Avodah and Beis Amikdash on, uh, in the Mishkan on Yom Kippur. Right? Or the Minchas Chavitin he brought every single day. Or the other Korbanos. The Kohen Gadol was able to, if whatever the Kohen Gadol wanted to do, he could do. He could go bring whatever Korban he wanted. Right? He could interject, I want to shech this, I want to burn this. Right? He could, he could he do whatever he wanted. Right? And, and Shevet Levi, I mean, listen, I, I understand they didn't bring korbanos to the Chanukah San Mishkan, but they were literally the ones chosen to represent the Kosh Baruch Hu, right, in the Mishkan. Right? And, and if you look at the Chanukah San Mishkan, Aaron actually did bring korbanos, a ton of them, actually, right, much bigger than the Nisim brought. Right? And if you argue, says the Ramban, that those korbanos were commanded by Hashem, and the Nisim brought those on their own volition, right, and Aaron was upset they didn't bring optional korbanos, well, okay, the, but that's nice, but the menorah is also a commandment from Hashem. So how does that even help anything? So there's a lot to unpack over here. Um, 
a lot of angles you can take and a lot of details you have to work out, right? Just for the sake of brevity, we're going to focus on one aspect. Let's focus on the menorah uh, itself. How is that a nechama? How is that a consolation to Aaron? Why did that make him feel better any more than, let's say, the Ketores or any of other avoda that the Kohen Gadol would do in, in the Mishkan? So Rav Nassim Tzifinkel quotes from Chaim Shmuel Levitz and Sigus Moser, right? Both of them were uh, Rosh Yeshiva at the Mir, so that makes sense. Or Mashkicha at the mirror. Rav Chaim was a Rashiva? A Mashkicha? I don't remember. Not the top of my head, I don't remember. I thought he was Rashiva, but I could be wrong. Anyway, Rav Nelson quotes from Chaim Shmulevitz and Sikhos Moser, who explains that the menorah had a certain aspect of Akara Satov to it. The Medrash says, in Bamibar Rabbah, that Aharon lighting the menorah was Hakara Satov to Akarish Baruch kind of like, quote-unquote, paying back to Akarish Baruch for lighting the way for Bnei Yisrael in the desert, right, with the Amur Eish, Right, when Bnei Israel took them through the desert with the Amud Anan during the day and the Amud Aish at night, right, it was it was a Satov, It was quote unquote paying back to Akash Baruch Hu, or for guiding Bnei Israel through the desert. Right, the measures there gives a mushal of two people walking together. There's a blind person and a healthy person. Right, someone who can see. They're traveling. And when they finally get to their destination, the healthy person tells the blind person, "Do me a favor, light a candle in the room where we're staying." So the blind man turns to them and says, "What do you mean? The whole way." you've been taking me. <laughs> what does that mean? You made sure I know where to go, etc. Now you need me to light you a candle? So the, And the guy who can see says, yeah, so you don't think I did you just a favor while we were traveling and you feel like you have to pay me back for something. Here's your opportunity to do something tiny, small, do something, you know, to kind of like, you know, get that off the off your back and off your head. Right? Here's your opportunity. So the same thing over here. Coach Baruch Hu, right, took us, took care of us, guided us throughout the whole Mishkan, uh, through, through, with the Mishkan, but throughout the whole Midbar, throughout the whole desert. And the Coach Baruch Hu said, just, you know, just pay me back by lighting the menorah. Obviously, Hashem didn't need the menorah, but he said, just like, do this tiny little tiny thing for me. Light the menorah. Uh, here again, what does that mean exactly? How does that pay back? That's again, the Midrashim are not necessarily meant to be taken literally, but okay. So the, the menorah had an aspect of Akar Satov. That says Rukhaim Shmulevitz. That was the special aspect of the menorah that the menorah had over the korbanos. Right? Said Rukhaim, this is what Hashem was saying to Aaron. Your avoda is greater since it represents Akar Satov, where Bnei Israel show their thanks to Akash Baruch Hu and pay him back Kaviachol. Right? We don't find this aspect by any other avoda in the Mishkan except for the menorah. And obviously, there are tons and tons of makoros throughout Chazal, right, about the greatness of Akar Zatov, right? Maybe none as striking as the Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo, as my Rebbe Rav Sachs, Rav Yonis and Sachs likes to quote, the Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo writes that the entire purpose of creation is lieda uliyoda, lieda to know that Akash Baruch created the world and recognize God's hand in everything, uliyoda, and to give him thanks for it. And that is the purpose of creation, says the Ramban. But Rav Chaim and Rav Svi, they also just bring a couple other Mikoros. So many aspects of this Medrash right, uh, uh, shine a light on so many different parts of Akar Zatov and show how far we have to go right, to attain this Midah uh, of being Makir Tov. Right? We have to be Makir Tov right, even when the person or the entity receiving their thanks has absolutely no need for it. Right? Akash Baruch Hu did not need, does not need our thanks. He does not need the light in the Mishkan, right? What could a Hashem possibly gain from our Akar Zatov? He doesn't need anything. Yet, Bnei Yisrael were told to light the menorah, right, to be Makar Tov. Akar Zatov is not important only for the giver, right, but so much more so for the receiver, meaning the person who received the goodness and has to give back, right, has to be Makar Tov. Akar right? Zatov is not just paying someone back for something. It's important for the person who received the favor, Right to give back, even if the person who gave the favor doesn't need it at all. That's what we see from this medrash, right? Karsh Baruch didn't need us to give back to him, but still, when Akar Zatov recognizing that someone has done something for you, 
that is chashuv, even if the person who did it for you doesn't need any any thanks whatsoever. We have to be makir tov as well. Right? Points out Rav Chaim and nothing from the medrash, even to inanimate objects. Right? We're not from not from this medrash, but from a different medrash. Rav Nathan Zvi quotes a famous Rashi that that Aaron had to do the first three makos, right? Not, because Moshe had to have a karzatov to the Nile, right, for saving his life when he was in the basket, right, and also to the ground that hid the mitzri, so he couldn't do kinim, right? That, that saved his life. Rav Chaim points out that Moshe saved the daughters of Yisrael from the shepherds. Right, who helped them water their flock. Right? Remember that? When Moshe went to Yisrael, uh, he, first he saved their daughters. The Medrash Tanchuma says that there's a, the muscle of that situation right, was a person who gets bit by a donkey then runs to the river to soak his foot. And while he's soaking his foot, he sees a child drowning and he dives in and saves them. And the child thanks him, says, oh, thank you so much for saving my life. And the guy says, don't thank me, thank the donkey. Because without the donkey who bit me, I never would have been here. So too Moshe said to the Benos Yisrael, to Yisrael's daughters, he said, don't thank me for saving you from the shepherds. Thank the Mitzri who I killed. Because without him, I never would have fled right, Mitzrayim. Right? So that, again, we have to show a Kar Zatov, even to inanimate objects, even to people who are dead. Right? There's a concept, again, as we see, it's not for the person we're giving thanks to, it's for our own selves right, to be Makar Tov. Right? We have to be Makar Tov even for something so small, Right, that even when the person who does the chesed for us, right, it's really for them, but it happens to benefit us as well. The Gemara says in Yevamos, says Rav Chaim. Uh, said the Gemara says in Yevamos Taf Samach Gemo. That Rabbi Chia, fascinating story actually. Shalom bias uh, Shmuz. That Rabbi Chia's wife used to frustrate him, used to aggravate him a lot. Nevertheless, says the Gemara, whenever Rabbi Chia would see something that she would like, right, let's see flowers, whatever it is, he would still bring it to her. And one of the other Amorim said to him, Rav said to him. Well, doesn't I, I don't why I, doesn't she annoy you? So Rafia said, and again, this is you know, probably a sheer in and of itself. Rafia said, it's enough that she raises our kids and saves me from avera, meaning she saves me from uh, inappropriate thoughts because she you know puts on makeup and, and she's beautiful, etc. So that I owe her that gratitude. So I have to. Uh, so I have to, you know, it's, it's worth it for me to be makir tov for that. Says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, those are two very different reasons to thank someone, right? Again, what did Rafia say? Very two specific. Details. I'm sure his wife did other things for him, but he said she raises our kids and she saves me from sin because she, you know, puts on makeup or whatever. Those are two very different things. Says Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim says raising kids, as anyone will tell you, right, is super hard work, full of sacrifice, dedication, long hours, exhausted, right, <laughs> tons, tons of effort. But making herself beautiful—that's probably something she would have done anyway, right? Girls like like to, as you guys know, you put on makeup to impress other people, but also because people, the girls like to feel beautiful themselves. It's very likely she would have done that anyway, when she's not married to Rav Chia. But Rav Chia equated the two, right? Both were equal reasons for him to show his appreciation. So you even have to do Hakar Zatov, you even have to be Makir Tov to someone, if they're doing something for themselves, that also benefits you. So we know, again, we know all the major mitzvahs associated with the Kar Zatov, Kibbutz Aim, etc., etc. But there are, for us, just for now, there are so many other instances and opportunities where we can show a Kar Zatov. Right? Every little compliment, every little thank you is appreciated, right? No matter how awkward or how cringe or how silly you may feel, right? Guarantee that the recipient of the Kar Zatov is touched and feels appreciated and seen and heard, right? More than you know. Right, so look for those opportunities, right, however simple they may be, right, and, take, and take advantage of them, because as Ramban says, right, that's literally right, the purpose of creation, the Yeda Uliyodah. Okay, the, the Puzzle says about uh, B'nai Israel's travels uh, in the Midbar, and part of the Puzzle says, Al Hashem Yachanu, Al Hashem Yiso. Right, pretty well known Puzzle, that, that basically, basically B'nai Israel traveled 
All right, and what that the simple shot what that means is that basically whenever a kodesh baruch set the cloud uh, of glory on the mishkan, everybody would camp, set up camp here. And whenever the cloud would lift, they would realize that that's time time for everybody to move, time for everybody to go. Uh, they would pack up, and then the cloud would obviously lead them to wherever they were going. And whenever the cloud rested, that's where they would encamp uh, as well. There is a fascinating gemara shabbos on Bethlehem and Aleph on the base. Te- technical at first, seems just halachic. But there's a tremendous Moser uh, that you can learn from it. Like Ula says over there that Rabbi Yossi holds that the Malacha of Soser, destroying, is only a Malacha if it's done in order to rebuild in that exact place. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> Just to start, take a step back, right? The Malachos we've discussed before, we've discussed in seminary, discussed in the podcast, Malachos are creative actions, right? When we rest from Malach on Shabbos, it's not because we're trying to rest and not do any physical work. It's because we're trying to rest from creative activities to remind ourselves who the real creator is. That's what Shabbos is, a time to step back and realize that Kosh Baruch created the world, seven days, etc., etc. So we refrain from creative activities. And you have the 39 Malachos, right, that we took from the Mishkan, right? You have the 39 creative acts that we refrain from, and obviously all the details that comes after that. One of them is Soser, is destroying. Now, that doesn't make sense because destroying is destructive, right? It's not creative. So there's a rule that if anytime you have some inherently destructive malacha, like soser, uh, there's also korea, tearing. So if you have destroying, right, that can only be considered a malacha if it's constructive in some way. So Rabbi Yossi, Ula says that Rabbi Yossi holds that soser, destroying, is only a malacha d'araisa, it's only aser d'araisa, if it's done in order to rebuild, not only in order to rebuild, i.e. that makes it constructive, right? Not only if it's only order to be rebuilt, but only if it's order, in order to be rebuilt in the exact same place right, where it is. Right? Meaning if a person destroys something in order to build something elsewhere, like you take apart a house, right, and you to use the bricks somewhere else, that's not so sermi deraisa. But if you take apart the house to build the house again in that exact place, then that is so ser deraisa. That is destroying deraisa. Asks Rabbah, I don't understand. As we pointed out, all the malachos and Shabbos are learned out from the Mishkan. But when Bnei Yisrael dismantled the Mishkan, it was in order to build it in another place like we just talked about. Right? It was in order to go from one place to the next. That's right. The cloud lifted up. Bnei Yisrael packed up. They went to somewhere else and they re, re, you know, built the Mishkan and all their tents. So what do you mean that destroying is only to rebuild in the same exact place? So Ula answers, not really. Because by the Mishkan, the Puzzle says, as we quoted, right? they, they traveled based on Hashem's word, and therefore it was as if it was built in the same exact place. Now, the obvious question is, what does that mean? <laughs> when Bnei Yisrael traveled from place to place in the desert, there's literally a list of all the travels of Bnei Yisrael at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, right? In part, that's Pasha's Maseh. Right? What do you mean? That since it was Al-Piyashem, therefore they really built the Mishkan in the same place. They didn't. They clearly didn't. They moved from place to place. So the Torah to me, as a, someone I answer, the Torah to me, for example, says that simply it must be that sometimes B'nai Israel were commanded to take down the Mishkan only for Hashem to like, you know, pull the offer and pull, rescind the order right, and command them to rebuild it in the exact same spot. With all due humility and respect, uh, we don't find a record of that anywhere in the Chumash. So I'm not sure exactly what he's getting at. Again, back to Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, he gives an unbelievable answer uh, in Sichos Moser. It's actually on, in, on his uh, comments to Bishalach, but okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, what, what the Gemara means, says Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, is that Bnei Yisrael's residence in the desert was Eitzel Hashem, was with Hashem. That's what Al-Pi Hashem means. 
that they were always with Hashem. The physical location didn't matter. As long as they were with Hashem, right, they were in the same place. And he gives a great marshal. He says when a baby or, let's say, a child right, goes with their, their mother, let's say, on a bunch of errands, if you ask the kid where they were all morning, the kid inevitably would answer, I went out with mommy. Right? It doesn't matter that they went to the food store or the pharmacy or the library. They went out with mommy. That's how B'nai Israel's travels in the Midbar were. That's what the Gemara means. That since they were all Hashem, it was as if they were in the same place. Since they were with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, it was as if they were in the same place. Now, first of all, this is a tremendous lesson for you guys who just left Sem. Right, we had our banquet a couple nights ago. It doesn't matter where you are physically. Right, you'll always be part of the greater Bear Marian family. Right, that's just how we roll. Right, even Chutzlaritz, you're always back here. If you put your mind to it, if you're always with a Kodesh Baruch Hu, then you're always a seminary girl, etc., etc. Right? You're, this applies to yeshiva guys as well. Right? And just because you're not in the physical four walls of the yeshiva doesn't mean you're not in yeshiva. It doesn't mean you can't have the attitude of religious growth. That can happen anywhere. But this is the ultimate way to live your life. Right? Al pi Hashem Yachnu, al pi Hashem Yiso. Right? Travel al pi Hashem. Right? Make decisions al pi Hashem. Date al pi Hashem. Marry al pi Hashem. Raise children al pi Hashem. Work al pi Hashem. Right? That's the ultimate goal. And that you can do anywhere. Right? Your physical location doesn't matter. Right? When you live your life al Hashem, you're literally walking with a Kosh Baruch wherever you go, and that's considered where you are. Right? When you listen to a shir in the car, or when you dress sneezily in some random town in Hickville, or God knows where you go on vacation, when you spend money on Jewish things, etc., that's al Hashem Yachinu al Hashem Yiso. That's living your life al Hashem. What's some good advice for starting this? Right? For, for actually accomplishing this. Well, let's say you just left Sam or Yeshiva or whatever. How do you make this a reality? So if Melech, or Melech Biederman points out that the Shlach Kodosh says that this Pasuk is a reminder that we should live our entire lives al pi Hashem. What does that literally mean? Al on pi, mouth Hashem. Meaning in our mouths should always be Hashem. Everything we do, we should always try and say, Emeritz Hashem, Bezus Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Chazdei Hashem. Right? That is a simple yet effective way Right, to bring a Kosh Baruch into our lives. Right? Going to the store, Mitzvah I'm going to buy this, Mitzvah Right, I was successful in business, Chazdei Hashem. Right, to, to always just mention a Kosh Baruch Right, that's a simple way to start, or at least continue, right, thinking uh, and keeping Hashem in your life. Right, if you keep on using those phrases, there's no way for Hashem not to make His way into your daily life. Right, you're always, you're always saying Mitzvah Hashem. Right, when it's that's literally, you know, what's, what the phrase is, shame shamayim shgurav piv. But if you have a Kodesh Baruch who's stuck in your mouth, right, that's, that's literally, you're, you're on your way to living al pi Hashem, and that's, uh, that's the ultimate goal. Okay, now if you look at Sefer Bamidbar, um, it almost seems to be two separate storylines. Right, the first part of Bamidbar Naso and half of Baluska, Right, is the story of basically the Jews traveling in the desert, the formation of the camps, dedication of the Mishkan. Right, again, very dramatic, powerful. Right, discussing the grandeur, etc., etc. Uh, you know, you can imagine that this is like some dramatic music accompanying right, the Balkore if he's, if you need to imagine something else if he's not doing so well. But um, after you have all after that, you have almost the most, you, maybe the most bizarre thing that you find in the Chumash. You find the Psukim of Vayibin Soa Aron. Right, again, three Psukim in the middle of the Parsha. You know these Psukim. Because we say them in Shul, Vayibin Zohar Aaron, Vayomar Moshe, Kuma Hashem, Yafutzo Evecha, Vinusim Sanachim, Yipanacha, Uvnuchoy Omar, Shuvah Hashem, Revos Alfei Yisrael. If you look in the Sefer Torah, they are surrounded by backwards, upside down nuns. Nuns, letter nun, upside down. Very odd. Yeah? And interestingly enough, right, these after these after these psukim, that's when everything started going downhill. 
Right? The Jews complained to Moshe, they have a type of Fremid, etc. Right? Lashon Hara, Meraglim, Korach, Vuchule. Right? The question is, what in the world happened? Right? What in the world happened? Right? Again, aside from, taking out the fact that Rashi says that no, no, that, that Parsha should not be there, right? it separates from Puranos, right? it separates from uh, Rashi, right? it separates, Esau ran away from Arsini, right? the, the, the Puzzle says that they traveled from Arsini, Rashi says it was like a little kid running away from school, didn't want to have any more Isurim, right? and right after that, there's, there's the complaining, what could possibly have gone wrong? Bnei Yisrael are going into Eretz Yisrael with a full fanfare, literally of trumpets, etc. What happened? So, before you can we can answer this question, you got to ask another question. Um, as we mentioned, right, before, after the Anunim Afruchim, the Bnei Yisrael complained to Hashem. Right? The Torah says, Vayi Amkim Isonanim, right, Bnei Yisrael start complaining. Right? And two psukim later, Bnei Yisrael desire meat, right, they complain about the delicacies they used to have in Egypt, with delicacies, tongue-in-cheek, right, fish, meat, cucumbers, melons, watermelon, garlic, whatever. And Hashem is furious, obviously, he says in the Slav, sons of plague. Problem is, in Sefer Shmos, the Jews do exactly the same thing, right, in Parshish B'Shalach, Right, they complain also, we have no food, we have no water. Um, and Hashem's response is quite different. Right, right after Az Yashir, Bnei Israel right, complain, if only we had died in Egypt, etc., etc., we had the meat in Mitzrayim, v'chule, v'chule, you're going to kill us. Instead, Hashem sends the mon, right, the, bear, the bear Miriam, yeah, right, and he sends the slough, and he sends the meat, and he sends the birds. What, what, what is the difference between the complaining in Parshish B'Shalach and the complaining in Parshish Baloscha? Right, clearly, Hashem felt that in Bar Shabbat it was not warranted. So what's so? What was the difference? So perhaps we can you know use classic you know Briscoe terminology and explain that there's complaining, and you know this to be true. There's complaining and there's complaining. Right, one type of complaining is legitimate. Right, if you uh, contract someone to build you a six-story house, well that's that's, that's a little crazy. But let's, let's say a six-bedroom house, right, and he only builds you four bedrooms, so that's a legitimate complaint. Right, when you ask for those other two bedrooms, right, that's well you're well within your rights, right? But if your parents, let's say, buy you a house and then you complain that the house is not big enough, well, you, know, you kind of get the idea. Right, so that's that's exactly what was going on over here. Bnei Yisrael, a uh, Baruch Hu took Bnei Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. Bnei Yisrael assumed that Hashem would figure out how to feed them, which is reasonable, right? So when that ha- didn't happen right away, Bnei Yisrael complained, and Hashem said, "Okay, no problem. Mon, slav, bear Miriam, water, etc." But in our parsha, they already had all that stuff, right? So that's like complaining about the stuff, the house that the parents bought them, right? That's not nice. And if you look at, and that's inappropriate, obviously, that's not with a proper car setup like we talked about before. You even notice this in the Chumash, right? If you look at the text, right, the word that, that the Torah uses to tell me in Bishalach, in, part, in Sefer Shmos, that Bnei Yisrael complained, is Vayilonu, that they complained. In Bamidbar, the Pazik says, right, in our Parsha, in, in Baloscha, Vayiha'am kemisoninim, which I guess literally translates as the nation took Kimisoninim. They were like they were looking for complaining. That's much different. Right? That's obviously much, much different. Right? Again, when it talks about the meat, they created a desire. Right? The, I think the article translated as something like cultivated a craving or something like that. Right? That's, that's, that's completely different. That's like, that requires effort. Right? They, didn't, they didn't just happen to be like, oh, by the way, we don't have anything. That means they went out of their way to look for problems to complain about something, and then you, if, if that's true, then you can start understanding what went wrong, right? But Moshe Rabbeinu reaches out to Yisrael, inviting him to come to Yisrael. How did they end up turning left? It started with a complaint, right? An illegitimate complaint, right? Why does a person not complain? Why does a person complain illegitimately, right? Why does a person complain in a, in a bad way? 
That's as we said before, because they're not makertov. However, you're unable to see the value and, and the gifts that someone has done for you. That causes you to leave uh, and and you know go astray, right? And that's as you know as the Chazal say in Perkiyavos, "Ezu Asher Samech Pachalko." Right? Who is who is rich? Someone who is happy with what they have, right? That, that, that is for sure. You know, Bnei Sof, for whatever reason, right? Uh, we're lacking at that point, right? And maybe it's the, if it's the Am is usually connotes the Eriv Rav, so maybe they started it. Bnei Sof kind of took to it. Okay, whatever it is, "Ezu Asher Samech Pachalko." Right? Be happy with what you have, um, and uh, we should all be zocha to 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 accomplish that. Now, it's also important to note. And this is what we mentioned in the seminary a couple of days ago, but we'll definitely could I to say it again, that what led to all the downfall, all the really bad sins, right? But if you had to list the bad sins in, Mara, in, in, in uh, Bamidbar, we're talking the Meraglim, the Vnos Moav, Korach, those are the bad ones. But what led to all of that? that? A little bit of complaining. Right? Again, what does Rashi say? That the, there was complaining and then there was the desire for meat. Right? Those were different. Right? Rashi says that Benesor complained. What was the complaint? doesn't say in the Chumash. So Rashi says they were traveling for three days straight towards Eretz Yisrael without a break. Now, first of all, if you know how Benesor traveled in the Midbar, right? the Ananeh Kavod basically carried them. Second of all, Akash Baruch Hu, as Rashi himself writes, Akash Baruch Hu meant it for their own good, right? Hashem writes, Rashi writes that Hashem wanted to take them into Eretz Yisrael as soon as possible, right? Obviously, you'd rather be at your destination sooner than kind of bumming around in the Midbar, uh, in the wilderness, etc. So Akash Baruch Hu, Chashvalatov, Akash Baruch Hu wanted to do the Mechaset, and they started complaining. Okay, problem is that compared to the big sins in Ben Midbar, that's not such a big deal. Right, a little bit of complaining, a little bit of meat, right? A desire for me. Okay, again, obviously they're not great, but they're not earth-shattering. Like you, you know, it's not like these crazy rebelling against Moshe, saying we don't want to go there to Israel, the Miraglim, Benos Moav. Those are big-time sins. A little complaining. Okay, it's not uh, not tzaddikim. I mean, they were great tzaddikim, but okay, then it's not the uh, it's not terrible. So what's What's going on over here? How did that lead to, you know, how did that lead to that? So it's, it, the question is actually reminiscent of a Gemara in Shabbos and, and on Daf Kufay and a Gemara in Nida as well, at the, uh, I think in the first part, if I'm not mistaken. We'll quote the Gemara in Shabbos just because I have that in front of me. Rishim ben Allah Omer, Mishum Chilfa bar Igra, Shomer Mishum Rabbi Yochan ben Nuri. Rabbi Yochan ben Nuri says, Hamakari begadav b'chamasa. If someone tears his clothing in anger, Famishaber kelev b'chamasa, or he breaks his, you know, a cup in anger. Or he, you know, scatters his money, throws away money in anger. It should be in his eyes as if he worshipped idols. Why in the world would you say that? So, as so, and this is the the key line in the Gemara, or there are many key lines, but this is at least for for now. Because this is the profession. This is how the Yitzhahara works. This is the literally the game plan of the Yitzhahara. Hayom Omer Lo Osekach. Today he says to you, do this. Umachar Omer Lo Asekach. Tomorrow he says, do this. Ad Omer Lo Oved Avodah Until he says, go do Avodah and you go and do it. And this is how the Yitzhahara works. Right? It doesn't get you to do big sins right out of the, right out of the gate. But it doesn't say, go do Avodah Of course, that's ridiculous. Again, what, he gets you to do small things. One thing leads to another. Right, to, to get dramatic for a second, divorces don't happen overnight. Right? Infidelity, Rahman al doesn't happen overnight. Right? It's, a, it's a small buildup of little things. Right? People okay, tell me to tell me the girls and the guys in Yeshiva and the girls always ask, how do I not fall when I go back? And the answer is it's in the little decisions. 
It's, in the, it's not in the big things. It's in the little things. The details that we skip because we don't think they're important, right? The details that we don't think are small, that are, are that we think are too small to matter, right? Ironically, it's harder to make the right choice in the small things than it is in the big things, right? If a friend, just to uh, get very, very dramatic, right? If a friend would tell you to do like meth, so obviously you'd laugh at them. But if someone offered you a joint nowadays, eh, that's not so crazy, right? If someone would say, let's go to Vegas and spend Friday night on the strip, right? you, I would imagine you'd think that's not a great idea. But if, if someone would say, let's just check our phone for a couple of minutes on Friday night, okay, that's not that's not such a big deal. It may, I mean, it obviously is, but not comparatively, right? If someone would say, you know, I don't want you to ever learn Torah ever again, I would hope you would say no. But if someone said, let's skip this year we usually go to so you could binge a show on Netflix, well, you might think about that, right? And as the phrase goes, the devil is in the details. Right? The small things in and of, itself, uh, of themselves sometimes are not really such a big deal. But that's how you go, end up going down that road, right? And when you look back after one, two, five, ten years, you're going to wonder how you got there, right? How did you get to this place? And the answer is the small decisions you made along the way that took you there. And that's what happened to Bnei Yisrael, right? They started, they're going towards Eretz Yisrael. The Mishkan is set up. They're traveling together. Everything is good to go. Right? Trumpets are blowing. But all of a sudden, they take a turn for the worse. Why? Because they started complaining a little bit right here, a little bit here, a little bit there. They started desiring meat, etc., not so bad, but that's what gets you down that road. The small decisions are what steers you down a certain path. And if you have the cock, if you can have the courage to make the right decisions and the small decisions, then you'll end up avoiding right, the, the scary big decisions. Right, You won't end up right down that road where you might have to deal with those big big issues in the future. Okay, let's do just a quickly. We're not going to do a deep dive into Lashon Hara because that's, you know, that's Tazri and Mitzorah stuff. Uh, but Miriam's Lashon Hara, let's just address it for a second. Rav Nassim already quotes the Yaakov Shimoni uh, that points out that Miriam's Lashon Hara was not classic Lashon Hara like we all think of, you know, hey, hey, gossiping, you know, did you hear blah, 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 blah. No, it's, it says the Yaakov Shimoni like this. It, the, Miriam's Kabachomer, uh, Miriam's Lashon Hara was not so bad. And she got punished for it, right, with Saras and Bnei had to wait for her, etc. So Kabachomer, for us, we have to watch our mouths, meaning that we, the Yalkut Shemoni compares our Lashon Hara and Miriam's Lashon Hara. It says the Yalkut Shemoni, Miriam didn't mean to speak badly about Moshe, right? Only intended to help their Shalom Bayis, right? He said that he's never with uh, Tzipporahs, never, never hanging out with her. So he only wanted to help their Shalom Bayis. He didn't want Moshe, uh, you know, and she's, again, and Moshe was her younger brother, right? Someone who theoretically is lesser, quote-unquote, than her. And it says the Yalkut Shimoni, again, this discussion how, if this is actually true, but uh, she, the Yalkut says that she only spoke to herself. She didn't say it to anybody else because the Pazik says, Vayishma Hashem, that Hashem heard, i.e. no one else heard it. That shows she really only said it to herself. And yet she got punished. It's a Kalvachomer us who speak badly about other people on purpose, right? Who don't really want to help them, right? Who want to harm them, right? And we speak about people who are older and greater than us. And we speak badly, right, to other people, right, not only to ourselves. So, alakas kama vakama, right, how much more so we have to be careful. Now, Lashon Hara needs no introduction. Right? It just needs, like, chizik once in a while, like the Mesil Sisharim, right, at the beginning, right, the great value of reading the Sisharim is not reading it once, but hearing it over and over and over. So, so too, the same thing about hearing Musar about Lashon Hara. If you're able to do a lesson a day, if you're able to do Shemir Salashon daily, so that is that is the best way to tackle Lashon Hara. Um, Obviously, we'll talk about Lashon Hara next week with the Miraglim, etc. But practically, aside from learning Halakos of Lashon Hara every single day, which is super important, and you should do that, um, but how do you avoid speaking Lashon Hara 
when you're not learning about Lashon Hara, right? Later in the day, six hours later, ten hours later, right? How do you attack a Midah that's so ingrained in us? So that's hard, right? Because I'll explain that Bali Musar explained that to attack the Midah head on, that's very tough, right? But sometimes, right, you can work on something else that will impact the thing you're trying to work on, right? It's like a classic mis- misdirection, right? The Itzar is fighting you on Lashon Hara, right? So you'll take another Midah, something that's easier, that maybe he's not fighting on you so hard, Right? And that Mida will impact your desire and your ability to speak Lashon Hara. That's the best way to attack and work on your Midas. So one of the Midas for Justin Sveed, or many other Bali Musters say, is to try and see the good in every person. For example, if a person you know right, does something to you that you don't like, right? let's say someone you know, someone you like, friend, close friend, relative, let's say they don't pack, pay you back for a while, right? You let them some money, they don't pay you back for a while. If it's someone you like admire, someone you're close with, it's no big deal at all, right? You might not even think about it, right? And if you do, you're happy to let them get away with like the, oh, I'll get you the money later, etc. But if it's someone you don't like, right, so then, or you don't have a good association with, so then you're marking off the days in the calendar, right? Then you're grumbling about it with your friends, right? You, you don't cut them any slack whatsoever, right? We can all think of examples where something happened with people we were close with, right? And that didn't bother us at all. And then the exact same thing happened with people we were not close with, and we were furious, right? So that's the advice. The advice the Chazal gave is that to work on your being, not necessarily but being happy and, and getting along with other people, seeing the good, right, in other people, right? Because once you start seeing the good in other people, you become, inherently, you become closer to them. And you see that how great they are, right? You can appreciate them and you become closer to them and you can cut them some slack because, you know, okay, if your brother or sister borrowed a hundred bucks, they haven't paid you back yet, it's not a big deal. And at that point, right, you don't say any Lashon Hara, you don't start gossiping or whatever about that. You look at what this person did to me, oh, how, could, how dare they, etc. Right? Work on seeing the good in people. That's a lot easier, perhaps, uh, then uh, attacking Lashon Hara right, right straight on, and uh, that will help us right with uh, the desire to speak badly about other people. Okay, everybody, have a tremendous Shabbos uh, and be in touch.